I'm Sean McCambridge, Managing Director of Stellar Recruitment. Thanks for joining me on this journey to uncover the secrets of inspirational leaders. The reason I put this together is to share the unique journeys of these successful individuals and really unpack how they've achieved success and hopefully inspire others to do similar things. So thanks for tuning in and listening, and I hope you enjoy the series. Tristan, thanks very much for joining us today on the podcast as part of the Inspirational Leaders series. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to know you for a good period of time and I've been fascinated and inspired by your story. The physio company has consistently been ranked in the top 10 places to work by BOW, including uh, first place on one occasion. Uh, I want to dig down and I want to understand where did the physio company start? What was the moment when you decided this is what I'm going to do? Yeah, g'day Sean, it's good to be here. and. Where do I start is that I am a physiotherapist. I think that's a, a critical part of the story is that I, I studied to be a physio at Melbourne Uni and I had this aspiration to uh, to work in elite sports physio. That was really where I thought I was, I was headed in my career. And very early early on, I had this change of heart, which, which now as entrepreneurs we'd call a pivot. But look, I had this big change of heart that it wasn't healthy people that I wanted to work with to help them be healthier, to jump higher, run run faster, tackle tackle harder. It actually was elderly people that I, I really got great uh, appreciation and satisfaction from working with. So I made this very early change in my career from sports physio to the much, much, much less sexy industry of, of aged care. And as a, a fairly confident 24-year-old bloke, I didn't tell a soul about my move from sports to aged care because I was completely embarrassed by it, sheepishly moved into this what was a, a pretty un, unattractive industry in the eyes of many. I loved it, and I started working at this one really small, smelly old nursing home in the northern suburbs of Melbourne. I met some fantastic elderly people that I got to work with, and very quickly I grew this one-person practice into a hectic business. It was just me dashing around for the first year, and I got to the point where I had more elderly people to help than I could possibly imagine, and I had no other thought, but all right, well, I need to get some, uh, some people to help me out because I've got customers to, to help. And, uh, and I started employing some other physios in year two. That is the point where my career started to be a business. TPC started at, a, in short, a smelly old nursing home in the northern suburbs of Melbourne. So you're in this uh, environment with the amazing aromas you talk about. You're, you're, <laughs> 20, you're 24, 25, maybe you've got two staff at that stage. What was your vision at that stage? What did you honestly think would become and what did you honestly think you'd achieve with the physio company at that point in time? At that stage, Sean, I had this very selfish ambition to find a job that inspired me and that attracted other people, positive people to, to come and work with me. And I, I thought I wanted to find that job. Then I moved to this idea that I, I wanted to create it. And in short, if I had a small practice, which is typical of, of allied health practices of somewhere between 10 and 20 staff, and we were helping a small number of, of elderly people, and I was I felt like I was doing something great in the world, I had some positive people around me, that probably is about as big as my vision was in those very early days of, of where we were in the first few years. So you, you didn't think it would become what it is today, you know, best place to work, ranked by BRW, 
those sorts of things, you didn't think it would sort of get to the scale it would get to. That wasn't part of the vision. Not in that very early part, Sean. So I fell into this idea of, of building a, a, a scalable business that, that has become Australia's best place to work. But from year one into year two, I was just fumbling along and trying to figure it out. Uh, but there was a, a significant change and it was, it was actually at the fifth year mark and after after five years, that's when I I had a real crossroads in my career and in my in my thoughts. I'm like, I had twenty, I had twenty staff working with me at that point in time, and we were helping a reasonable number of, of, of clients. But I was completely stuck. I, I had these twenty people that were not empowered to make great decisions and doing great work, and I, I'd become a supervisor rather than a leader of a team. And so, Sean, at that point, it's where I had a huge crossroads. Geez, do I? Can I do this? Should I be doing this? How do I do this? And and I went on a a, a journey of trying to find a solution. At that point, after year five, we set a vision to do something significant, what we see as significant in the world, and that is to deliver two million consultations to Australian seniors and to become one of Australia's best places to work. But I can't say from year one I had that vision. It was something that I fumbled through and then had this this realisation that if you're going to create something great, then you really do need to find firstly a purpose and then set a clear vision as to where you want to head to it. And that's, that's when we got the vision in place. Absolutely. I want to go back to the beginning to a certain extent or closer to the beginning to where you are now. Did you lean on anyone, be it a mentor, a business partner, a supportive client, uh, or maybe some great people around you to help you embark on this journey uh, or provide support on the journey? Uh, absolutely. I'm so fortunate that I've, I've had some great people to help me along the way. And so when I started the business, Sean, in that year one, I entered a business planning competition called Shell Livewire. It was uh, run by the Shell Oil Company and it was linked with Rotary organization. And I was paired up with a Rotarian from the Richmond Rotary Club in, in Victoria and a bloke called Ben Hosking, who I went to his front room of his house and worked on a business plan every week for a couple of months. And Ben helped me with the business plan. And right now, 13 years on, Ben is still part of the advisory board of the Physio Co. He attends our, our monthly meetings and he's actually got a, a room named after him inside the PhysioCo support office. So, so Ben Hosking is a really, really significant mentor that, that's been with me for the whole the whole journey. There are some other people, but but he's probably the most significant. And what did Ben do for you in those early stages? It sounds like still a big part of the the business in your journey. What did he do or enable you to to achieve on the back end of your association? So, so Ben, firstly, he helped me with the, some structure and framework around business planning and particularly cash flow planning because cash is the lifeblood of, of business. And to uh, someone once told me, Sean, and I remember this most days of my life, is that as a business owner, the most important thing to do is stay in business. And uh, as, as simple as that is, then uh, it, it's a pretty simple concept, but uh, you can't do something great in the world and create a great place to work or do something fantastic for your clients if you're not if you can't manage your cash and stay in business. And so as, as simple as that is, uh, that's something that Ben helped me with. Uh, but over the years, um, I've had other mentors. Ben's helped me with this and other people have helped me along the way, but it's to be great listeners. They really listen closely and they, they mirror back and they feed back to, to me what they're hearing 
and they help me to challenge myself and challenge my ideas and challenge the vision that I'm trying to create for this for this business and for my own life. And I think that's one of the real strengths that mentors brings, not only frameworks and, and advice, but they can bring the best possible listening and challenging skills to help me to grow and, and become the best version of myself. And that's what something that Ben's done exceptionally well. Now, well, that's great. Seems like he's added a lot of value to you and been a big part of the journey. So obviously a bit of a benefactor of his advice and guidance along the way. I want to, I want to shift the, the conversation towards culture. I mean, you don't get to become Australia's best place to work without getting that culture right. Uh, so you've had the accolades, you've had the awards. What are your top tips for getting culture right? How do you systemize something that's so dynamic and so fluid? So, Sean, if, if culture is going to be something significant in your business and, and every business has got a culture, it's either by design or by default. Uh, and in the first five years at the PhysioCo, it was absolutely by default. There was nothing about design involved. Uh, since then, since 2009 through to where we are today, we've had a real obsession with, with making culture a critical part of what we do. And so the, the first piece of advice I'd share is, deciding that culture is a critical part of what, you, what you're going to do and, and then obsess over it for, for a long period of time. And then in terms of practically what's involved, I've shared this many times in many different places, what, what I believe are the four secrets to a world-class culture. Firstly, it's purpose and values. It's really being very clear on the why, why your business exists. Uh, secondly, it's document the future. Uh, really know where the, what the future of your business is headed so you can align the team. Uh, the third part is to execute relentlessly. There is nothing to substitute for hard work in business. Building a culture is not this airy-fairy, fluffy stuff. It really is a uh, hard work that you uh, execute day after day after day. And the last bit, which might seem in conflict with execute relentlessly, is that at the very same time that you're working, working your butt off to execute relentlessly, you have to show more love. It's really important that you systematically show more love to the people you're working with, to the people you're working for, and to be a positive person that, that does appreciate and recognise the great work that, that's happening um, around you. So those four secrets, I think, are the critical parts as a starting point for systemising something as, as dynamic and fluid as culture, and, and it can be systemised in a way which, which is not different to, to sales or quality control or, or the accounting function. It, it just needs to be have its, its very specific type of system around it. I want to sort of explore the notion of, of leadership and clearly the other common denominator within all this is, has been your leadership within this. I'm sure you once told me that uh, as a leader, every day is showtime or every day is show day. What, what do you mean by this? How do you manage this, particularly on, on, on the tough days? I mean, you're scaling a business, you're growing a business, you're a family man, it's not always easy. Can you just explain that a little bit further? Um, I, I think the, the quote I might have said is, it's always showtime uh, when you're a leader or something on those lines. It's, a, it's the same the same concept. Look, it, it's tough. And I, I'm uh, like right now at the Physio Co, we're going through a significant pivot and a significant challenge as we evolve and grow our business into into new um, new markets and new, and new directions. And there are ups and downs. But what I mean by it's always showtime is that leadership is a choice. Warren Rustand, a famous mentor who I've um, from America who I've known for a while, has got a, a quote and he, he says, lift where you stand. And what he means by lift where you stand is that no matter where you are, you've got a choice and you can choose to be reactive and negative in a situation or you can show up, you can inspire someone next to you and around you to, to just take on one more challenge 
answer one more question, help someone else out, and to, to lift where you stand. And that's what I mean by it's almost, always showtime, Sean, is that at any moment you can make a decision and or a choice, and the choice can be to to deal with the facts and make a positive step in the in the direction of a, a better future, or you can you can choose to be negative and cop out and bring other people down with you. From my perspective, there is no choice as a leader. We lift where we stand and bring other people on the on the ride with us. Yeah, that's great. I uh, couldn't agree more. And another mentor of mine says every day you've got to choose your attitude. So very much in line with what uh, what Warren and yourself have sort of adopted on that side of it. Sean, Sean, just on that one. Sorry to interrupt, yeah. um, mate. But I think it's it's important to to share that. Despite um, leadership is an attitude choice, I, I th it's fine to share the challenges. I used to think that I, I couldn't possibly let people know that I was disappointed or frustrated or challenged, and I just don't agree with that. I think as a leader, I, I'm a human, we're all human, and if we've got a challenge, it's okay to, to admit it and to share it and, and to, um, to let people know that, yes, you two deal with these sort of challenges. But, but we don't let it stop us. We, 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 we attack that challenge head on and, and we allow it. To, we breathe and then we get stuck into a solution. And I think that's what leadership is. It's not about being always positive without necessarily admitting and understanding the challenges that do exist in, in our daily lives at work and at home. Yeah, I agree with that. Authenticity is really important as a leader. I think that resonates with people around us and it's hard for people not to see that. What, what was the tipping point? What was the moment when you thought it's now okay to be a little bit more uh, authentic or real about maybe some of the challenges you're experiencing rather than being this bulletproof robot or someone that didn't really mm. show that they were vulnerable at times? Oh, I, I think it was the, the at some point during the scaling up journey of the Physio Co when I realised that I didn't only need to lead, I needed to ask for help because I'm so fortunate to be surrounded by capable people who can do such fantastic work. But if, if I pretend that I can lead from the front and, and be the invincible leader all the time, then they don't have the opportunity to lead and don't have the opportunity to show what they're, they're really capable of. So it was a, a challenge when like, I can't possibly do this on my own. So how about I share this challenge with, with my team, ask for their input, ask for their help, empower them to take, take on that um, the next step. So for, for me, I can't say it was an amazingly reflective moment. It was more by necessity that, for goodness sake, Tristan, you can't do this on your own. How are you going to ask for help and, and share the challenge with, with the team? They say winning's a habit, and I'm a firm believer that success is also. Further to your business success, you've completed challenges like an Ironman. You've obviously got a, a wonderful uh, family around you, and to me that's a, that's a big success, uh, no doubt. I want to move past that. I want to talk uh, and ask you about some of the challenging times you face as an entrepreneur, as a business leader. Can you quote you know, a time when you're going through a bit of a challenging phase in the business? How did you navigate that? What did you learn during this time? Yeah, look, Sean, there are sweet spots in business. There's no question about that. But as you scale up a, a business, it, it's, it is three steps forward, one steps back at certain times. And I, I talked about the first significant challenge when we got to about 20, 20 team members. Probably the next challenge along the journey that was really tough was when we, we set a three-year stepping stone or a three-year base camp, and it was a direction that we we're headed for. We wanted to get from 20 team members to 50 and but in a three-year period and we did get there it was um we planned to get there by 2000 end of 2012 and we got there about mid 2012 and i was super excited 
and we celebrated because it was one of the big goals we've been working towards and there was a, a, a party and a gift that went out to all our team members. But at the very same time, we, we didn't release the next base camp, the next painted picture vision as to where we're headed to. And the result was that some of the people that have been working so darn hard to get us to that, that big goal, they didn't know what the next step was. They didn't know the next vision was. And so we had a, a bit of a dip in our usually high retention of our team. So we lost a few people and we'd sort of scaled to a point where we'd outgrown our systems and we'd outgrown some of the, the capability of some of our team members. I was stressed. I was like, my God, we've just hit these big goals, but our but one of our real foundations, the real strengths, is being a really aligned team with strong, um, strong retention in our team. Uh, now people are leaving and the people that are here are more stressed as well because they've got more work to do with less, with less people to do it. I... I worried about it for far too long uh, because worry isn't necessarily an answer. It's defining the problem and then taking action, which is the the real um, the way to solve things like that. But what I did do was I, I doubled down on my on on the systems we had in place for culture. I doubled down on supporting the existing team members. We doubled down on adding resources where we could. We doubled down on appreciating the great work that people had been doing. And we, we shared the challenge with our team so that we could work together um, shoulder to shoulder in the trenches, so to speak. And, and we come up with a clear plan from the ground roots up, ground level up. We, we built the foundations back to our strengths, I guess. And then we went from 50 people back to about 47. And then we, we steadied, the, steadied the ship and we, and we pushed on to, uh, to, to where we've become, which is north of 100 team members. But I guess, Sean, the, the learning from that um, thing for me is, one, when there's, um, when there's a challenge, the CEO and the business owners need to get close to the action uh, and the leaders need to get close to the action. Nothing like being shoulder to shoulder with your team members to really understand what's going on and then work together as a team to, to overcome uh, any challenges that life and business does throw at you. Some great learnings there and it seems like you turn some of those learnings into positives as you then you know, double the business from that point. So again, some, good, uh, some really good takeaways and, and actions on your part as a leader. I want to shift from some of the uh, intangible things or the things that are, that are harder to sort of touch and feel like culture and move to some more tangible aspects like education, tuition. You've completed an MBA. As an entrepreneur, generally by nature, we tend to learn on the go. We're very intuitive people. Uh, what was your decision-making process to embark on undertaking an MBA? And, and maybe in retrospect, what were some of those key takeaways of, of completing that and, and getting through that course of study? Sean, I went to business school to study an MBA to learn about business and I learned more than anything about myself. I learned about myself as a leader and I learned about myself as a person. And as, as crazy as that sounds, uh, there were so many technical skills that I learned in my MBA program, which I had a fantastic uh, cohort of students I went through with. But the reason I went into it was I, I didn't feel that I had the, the business foundations or the business skill or well, you could even call it confidence, to go from where we were as a small business to where I had decided that I wanted to take the business in the future and to scale up. And so I went to learn technical skills in business. I did, there's no question I learned technical skills, but I actually reinforced the fact that I was on the right path and I just needed to become a better leader and a better communicator um, to be able to bring the, the, the team on the journey with me. So uh, I've got no, I'm not sure if I've answered your question there, Sean, but it was a stepping stone to, to build the confidence in myself and the network of people around me to, to then take the next step in, in the journey of the physio. 
Great answer. Humbleness aside, because I know you're a humble guy, and I'm always fascinated by anyone who's achieved any form of success, whether it's as a family person, whether it's in sport, whether it's a business, and unpack why is that person successful, why have they achieved success. So take your uh, your humble guy hat off for a moment there, Tristan, and, and, and maybe just quote, uh, reflecting on yourself, what are the characteristics or traits of yourself that you honestly believe have been instrumental or, or relevant in what you've ultimately achieved thus far? Sean, you're asking me to not be myself because because uh, this <laughs> you're, making, <laughs> you're, you're, you're making me uncomfortable just by asking it, um, and, and, I, and I've had two days' notice on the question. But um, for the benefit of the listeners, uh, what could you give us? <laughs> I'll I'll answer something, and that is that I'm fascinated by this idea of an intersection. And what I mean by intersections is what are the things that really drive someone to success? And for for example, I think it's something on the lines, Steve Jobs was obsessed by the intersection between arts and design or, or something like that, Sean. Can you quote that better than I can or do you understand what I'm, what I'm yeah, saying? No, I think it's the intersection between arts and science and, you know, I think he was talking about yeah. the, the, the design and the physical aspects of a computer or phone and then the human behaviour, that the, the less scientific and more artistic aspects of that perhaps. And so, and, and so, for example, he was he was fascinated by design. He was fascinated by the different types of types of fonts and typefaces that he could put into the personal computer design. That concept of an intersection is something that really fascinates me. And I haven't figured out my intersection just yet, but the draft, the working version of of what is an intersection for for me is the intersection between human connection and repeatable systems. And so as, as humble as I can possibly be, I would say that if I'm so fascinated by the connection between people both in my life and the ways that, that we can create something great in the world, which, which really does help people connect on a, on a deeper level and, and does something useful for them. I know that I can't just have this serendipitous accumulation of these conversations happening. So for me, it's about building systems around it that will really help to, um, to, to see the future reverse engineer it and put systems in place to really enable that to happen. And an example of that is the system around culture. We spoke about it a little bit earlier. Sometimes people do a really good job of connecting with their people, but they lack the structural systems to scale that or support that in a consistent fashion. So that's a great answer. You've been able to really sort of connect and, uh, and work closely with people, understand you know, the motives, their drivers, and bring them together for a common cause, but you've also been able to systemize that. So. You've maybe dodged that question a little bit, but I'm going to come at it from a different angle. And Kimberly has obviously been a massive part of your success, and she's your wife. Uh, how would she describe Tristan White? I did cheat on this, um, <laughs> Sean, and, uh, and, and I have. Um, I did actually ask Kimberly what uh, what she she might think on that, and so she. And so there's. It's interesting. There's a word we've already used, which has come up. A couple of times, Sean, and that is my wife uh, used some words. She said, "Humble ambition is, is a is a is a summary of, of what she would say." And that's some. I'm a very very driven person. There's no question about that. I drive myself very hard, and and people around me, I affect and, and hope for the for the best for them. But the way I go about it is is possibly more of a it's a human type way. That's the way I'll describe it. And other words that Kimberly wouldn't and has used to describe me is is intense or obsessive amounts of purpose, passion, and really deep caring. And and I was interested when when she told me these words because, look, Sean, my, my wife knows me better than better than than anyone, and I think 
really caring deeply about the people around me and the world around me is something that really does drive me to, to continue to learn and grow and hopefully do something useful in the world. Uh, and knowing you, Reese Rogers, and uh, I can certainly vouch for, for those attributes. So I think she's done a really good job of describing you. So I'm going to let you off the hook, and I'm going to, I'm going to switch the line of questioning a little bit. Rituals and practices allow us to, to get the most out of uh, our day, our time. What is it that you adopt on on a daily basis or a weekly basis to help you get the most out of every day or make the most of your time? Yeah. Yeah, so I'm a big systems guy, um, Sean. We've, we've, we've covered that. And so I've got some, some rituals in my life that I, that I really do um, stick to. A couple of them which are age-old, and that is just being really clear. Clarity is important to me. So clear on, on what the vision for myself is and clear on what the vision is for the, the future um, for, for both my family and my business and for my personal life. And so reflecting daily on and, and journaling about what's important to me, how I'm feeling, and what I'm going to do today to align myself to to a better future. Sometimes I physically write in a journal each morning. Other times I review my own personal goals in the morning before I get started. So the, the first thing is is an early morning reflection to, to really create focus. Secondly, I, I have a top three priorities that I'm going to get done uh, on a daily basis. And there's, there's no question that I'm obsessed over those top three priorities because if I don't get my important things done, then no one else will. And the last thing is a really important ritual, and we've actually added this to our family rhythm as well, is ending the day with a reflection or a thought. And so what, what have I learned today? What's, what's something that I've learned today that I can remember, pay attention to, and, and apply going forward from tomorrow? Because I, I reckon that if, um, if we don't learn from our mistakes and uh, improve things for tomorrow, then we're, we're probably standing still and not moving at the pace we, we can move. So it's, it's a very much a, a self-reflect. I'm a very self-reflective type of person, Sean, but I've got some systems around the way I, the way I do that. Uh, some great answers there and, and some really good uh, points that the listeners can take away to maybe their own lives. But using that clarity, you seem like a guy that's got a vision, uh, you've got a plan. I think that's something that uh, maybe ambitious people don't always do a fantastic job because they're, it's always evolving. It's so organic. You reach your base camp, like you say, and you push into the next. So how do you personally define success? Uh, I'm not sure that I've figured that out yet, Sean. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and as I, I say that not to dodge the question, but I, I'm an obsessive learner. I, I honestly believe that the moment you feel like you've arrived, it's time to leave. And so I, I actually don't necessarily have a definition of, of success we celebrate the milestones and successes. We set goals. We, we hopefully achieve them or, and, and or we, we learn from them. And then we move on to something new and interesting that hopefully excites us. So maybe uh, maybe variety is is an important part of success for me, Sean, because life is sure as hell isn't, isn't all about business. That's, that's for sure. I want to pick up on that a little bit. Would you say you do a good job of engaging Kimberly and your family and why you're so obsessive and driving your business forward, achieving some of your goals? Because, you know, maybe speaking a little bit from my own experience, I think sometimes it, it, it can be perceived as blind ambition. When is Tristan going to stop? When is Sean going to stop? So uh, are you a good engager of the likes of Kimberly around why you're driving towards these things? Yeah, I, I'm getting better. Sean, <laughs> uh, I'm getting better. Uh, I, there, there were times when it was unclear to me, let alone to, to anyone else, as to why I was so obsessed over um, over forward progress in my in my business life. Uh, but over the over the years, I've I've got better at communicating. And, and one thing I have got better at communicating, Sean, is that is that like we talked about earlier, there are sweet spots in business and there are tough times in business. And I've got better 
and if Kimberly was here, she she may say well, you're a bit better, Tristan, but you could still keep improving. And uh, but I've got better at identifying when I'm challenged, when I might be a bit stressed, and when I'm I might not be as engaged in my family life as much as I would like to be, and sort of flagging it in advance so that Kimberly can understand that that I, I there is a challenging time. I'm working on something. We will get through it. Once that is is resolved and communicated, then then we can take some time. If we miss some time as a family, we can then schedule it to make sure that we go on the journey together as a family, as opposed to this stressed bloke who comes home and and no one knows what the hell he's um he's interested in or, or why the problems are occurring. Yes, I've got a, a significant ambition to do something great in the world. Uh, and it comes with the ups and downs that's, and, and communicating those those challenges especially is something that I'm still working on, Sean. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump on the back of that question with another one in a similar vein. And we sort of touched on this a little bit before when we were talking earlier. But how do you attempt to maintain harmony, being so ambitious, so much going on in your, in your life, you, you've got a desire to grow your business, give back to people, help other people, exercise family how do you how do you attempt to make uh, any form of harmony out of all of that yeah the silence is because i'm still i'm still working on that so, <laughs> no nah, that, that's not true I'll, I'll, some examples is that i work from home uh two days a week mondays and fridays i typically work from home and that involves dropping off my two eldest kids um i've got a daughter who's in grade one and i've got a, a daughter who is in kinder and Monday mornings, we uh, jump in the car and drop off uh, Alex at school and then Harriet at kinder. And I also pick him up in the, in the afternoon as well on Mondays. And I typically do the, the drop off on Fridays as well. And so two days a week, I'm connected with, with, with those guys. And no, it's not every day. I'm not a, not a stay-at-home stay dad all the time. But Mondays and Fridays, I work from home. And that's a ritual that, that happens most weeks of the year. And so that's something that, that does work. And secondly, Sean, we've, we've got a really big commitment to a rhythm of a break, a break from work, a break from the physio co once a quarter. And we book them in advance. We, we have a, a, a rhythm around it. We, we look forward to it and, and we have an ongoing, another system, I guess, mate, in that how we um, have harmony both on a weekly basis and throughout the year to make sure we are connecting and doing things together as a family. Uh, very smart. Obviously, another good example of the system and, and not leaving that to chance. You know, I think when you leave it to chance, then invariably sometimes you can get through a whole year without having a decent break. So I think there's some, some good systems to, to make that uh, a lot more sustainable. There's no doubt to build a company like you've done, to complete some of the events like you've done, like that Ironman, there's no doubt there's sacrifice, much like doing an MBA. Is there any price you've had to pay for success or is there any cost of success in your opinion, Tristan? Uh, absolutely there is Sean uh, there is but I don't know what it is because <laughs> people talk about work-life balance and um, and I, I understand that concept I'm more into work-life blend and this and some people may say it's semantics but I think blending the, the work you do at work and, and the things you do at home and bring them together into it, whatever you're doing doing it with with passion and um, and humbleness but also making sure people around you understand why you're doing it and what we're doing if Kimberly was here you could ask her about Ironman triathlon and my my goodness she might just roll her eyes and say I know more things about Ironman triathlon than I ever care to, to know and that's because I was learning about Ironman I was living it I was breathing it I was sharing it and we were doing it together as a family and I think that Yes, there are sacrifices that I that are probably missed by what I'm doing. By the same token, 
Next month, I'm very fortunate to be doing a speaking engagement down the coast in Victoria, down the, the surf coast at Lawn, and um, it's a Saturday morning speaking engagement, but my family are coming with me and we'll have a four-day long weekend around that side of things. So instead of missing out on family time, I do my very best to, to bring them along for the journey. Uh, my kids are very interested as to why Dad's doing a speech on a Saturday morning, and then I get to, get to engage in, in that sort of stuff as well. So yes, there's sacrifices but I think we need to be focused on what we're achieving as opposed to what we're missing out on. You said before that you're a very reflective person. So you've got a beautiful family, you've got a great business, you're well on your way to leaving an amazing legacy. If you were to write a letter to that young 24-year-old working in that smelly retirement home, <laughs> what, what, what bits of wisdom would you put in that letter to that guy? Mm. Sean, this is a, a killer question. I, I love it. <laughs> And I think the one thing that I would I would remind myself, um, and, and human connection is something that's that's so important to me. I, I love it. And at a, at a retirement home or an aged care home that we work in, a birthday party or a celebration is something I absolutely love and get involved in, sing happy birthday and eat some cake and, and just the, the fun little things that happen in a, in day-to-day that, that I love doing. Go fast slowly is um, is a piece of advice that I've heard along the way and I would definitely be passing that on to a 24-year-old version of myself. Uh, it would be remember to smile and engage with the people you're working with because it's a real blessing to, to be able to work with not only our elderly clients but the great people that I, that I work with uh, in all parts of, of my life. I do volunteer and contribute to our local community and there's just so many great people that I get to work with and don't ever... Um, forget to include the people in the journey with you. I, I think my family, but me and Kimberly and our kids, plus my mum, people are interested in what you're doing and don't ever be, don't become obsessed by your work so you're a boring old person who, who only speaks about work, but don't underestimate the interest that other people have got in the journey that you, you're taking as a leader and, and bring them along as a, as a conversation as well. Look, Tristan, you've proven to be a great entrepreneur, a great leader, but I think more importantly, you're a great person and I can say that uh, having had the privilege of knowing you, I'm really grateful for the time you've taken today to share some of those key aspects that have allowed you to achieve what you've achieved. I don't doubt there's a lot of positive things in front of you, so I'm very grateful for your time. Thanks for sharing some of these key takeaways. I'm sure the listeners will take an awful lot from it. So all the best for the future and thanks so much for your time. You're welcome, Sean. It was awesome to have a chat to you, mate. Thank you.